What you are about to hear are accounts of real pro wrestling events. Some names, mostly ours, have been changed to protect the innocent. Welcome to Snap Judgments. Welcome to Snap Judgment's AEW edition. I am your host, Detective Marks Marks, and I'll be going over the results for AEW Dynamite from June 17th of 2020. Um, once again, I'm continuing to not cover AEW Dark, even though it might eventually have to come back into the, the picture because they're at least starting to talk about it a bit more on the main show. But we're just going to cover Dynamite uh, at this time, and for the near future at least, until AEW Dark gets to be a bigger deal and something that affects main roster, uh, main roster, main storylines. Um, so we open up Dynamite with a world tag team title match. Um, they previously announced this. I didn't expect them to start off the show with it, but the Natural Nightmares, which is, of course, QT Marshall and Dustin Rhodes versus the champs, Kenny Omega and Hangman Page. Of course, uh, Brandy Rhodes came out with the Natural Nightmares, but Allie was not ringside to start off the match. Uh, that plays into later. Uh, the match was pretty competitive. It's, it's exactly what you expect when you've got three absolute legends in the ring. And I'm referring to Hangman Page as a legend because I think he's phenomenal. And I think he's going to be a legend down the road. Uh, Kenny Omega is legendary. And um, Dustin Rhodes is. And you got QT Marshall who's very, very capable. Um, and I, I don't mean to drag him by saying that. But, but when you've got all four of those people in the ring, you're going to have a great match. Uh, featured awesome back and forth. Uh, there were at least a few times when you thought maybe the Natural Nightmares were going to be able to, to pull it out. Uh, but they they weren't really able to. Um, at one point, uh, QT signaled for the Diamond Cutter. Uh, they mentioned that it was gifted to him by Diamond Dallas Page, which was a plot point that I think they showed on AEW Dark at one point. Um, but he could not hit the Diamond Cutter on Kenny Omega. Uh, and it continued on going back and forth. Ali comes out to cheer on QT, which leads QT to try to show off for her and hit a moonsault on Kenny Omega, but no one was home when he landed. Uh, Kenny Omega and Hangman Page ended up beating up on QT for a while and uh, just picked him apart. Almost got the win on QT, but Dustin came out and did the breakup. Uh, but in the end, they hit the last call on QT, uh, which is their um, Buckshot Lariat slash V-Trigger combo. Uh, and I'm just, I'm not sold on this move. I think I've talked about it on Wrestling Booking Unit before. But this move, it, it doesn't look like it has the impact that it's supposed to. And I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that they're hitting on opposite sides of a person's upper body head at the same time, right? And I think if they were to either both come at it from the same direction, which would be tough with the Buckshot Lariat, or if Kenny Omega were to do something that's, that's aimed lower, so it was more like a high-low 
um, sort of a thing, I think it would look a lot more impressive. But I'm just not sold on it. But anyways, so Omega and Page are going on to defend their title belts at Fighter Fest against probably best friends but we'll find out later because best friends put their title shot on the line in a match later on in the show so uh potential changes coming up um, we'll cover uh if that happens uh later moving on we had her dynamite debut anna J versus also her dynamite debut abaddon Abaddon has a great look. I've talked before about Anna Jay, and I, I think she's legitimately got some star potential in her. She has a ring presence and awareness that uh, belies her in in experience. You know, she she has not wrestled a lot of matches, but she knows how to work the camera. She knows how to work her angles. She looks good in the ring. She's not particularly botchy, so. Uh, I think she's got a lot of potential. And Abaddon wrestled once or twice on AEW Dark. I think it was just once, but I'm not sure. I was uh, The one time I remember was against Hikaru Shida. And she's got this um, zombie dead person sort of look to her. I don't know the best. Demon dead person, demon zombie. I don't know how to describe it. Uh, but, you know, like she'll have blood dripping out of her mouth and uh, these special effect contacts that make her look like her eyes are one of them is entirely white and one of them is different, you know. Uh, but she's she's really impressive. She's got a great look for her. Um, and until this match, she's uh, been just used, like I said, once or twice before on AEW Dark. She's not officially signed as of this match. Um and, and so it was nice to see both of them on, on Dynamite. It gave a nice bit of suspense because you didn't know which way this one was going to go. Like, neither of these were established stars. So it could have gone either direction. And, and you wouldn't have been surprised by it. You wouldn't have been angry with it either. Um, in the end, uh, Abaddon was just a little bit too much of a beast uh, for Anna J. Anna J got taken out of effectively a little bit of a squash for Abaddon, which is fine um, because she's supposed to be a monster, right? She left Anna J in the ring looking distraught, broken, which led to the Dark Order to come out. All of the Dark Order, including Mr. Brody Lee, comes out and, uh, First, before they, they go to Anna Jay, though, they go to Colt Cabana watching from ringside, and they present him with a large envelope. Uh, what could be in the envelope? We'll sort of find out, but not really, but sort of. Anyways, uh, but then they go into the ring. They help Anna Jay out of the ring and walk her back out through the tunnel. So it looks to me like Anna Jay is uh, going to be a new member of the Dark Order, the first female member of the Dark Order. And I think that's a really great fit for her. Uh, Abaddon doesn't need to be in the Dark Order. She's already got a dark gimmick. And frankly, she would overpower the cult leader aesthetic of the Dark Order. But young, impressionable, uh, inexperienced Anna Jay 
fits so much better because you know she can be like i've been trying to win i've been trying to do so good how can i win and the experienced cult leader can kind of take her to the promised land sort of a thing so it'll be interesting to see how anna jay uh evolves as part of the dark order but we move on to the number one ranked mjf with Wardlow coming out uh to face billy the leader of the gun club i i read a rumor and it seems like it was sort of confirmed the way they talked about him here the rumor is that even though wwe does not own the trademark on billy gun they let it expire that they threatened legal action against billy and um for using the name billy gun and for at least the time being while he works on getting the trademark himself uh he's just gonna be called billy but because they don't own the trademark of gun with two ends uh used in any other context other than billy gun uh his son austin gun can still be called austin gun and they actually had his other son colton gun come out and they announced them both as colton gun but they very specifically announced billy as just billy so i i feel like that kind of confirms that rumor that um he's been told that at least for the time being not to use the name billy gun until he can guarantee the the trademarks under his name anyways um this was kind of interesting because, like I said, Austin and Colton Gunn walked out onto the stage to introduce Billy, but then they both went to the back and it was just Billy out there versus MJF, which seemed a little bit weird. You'd think they would have both like stayed out there just to try to offset the fact that Wardlow was out there uh, because, you know, it set Billy up to be effectively two on one. Even though Wardlow wasn't officially part of the match, that's the way MJF works. Wardlow uh, either distracts the referee or gets involved in some way. You know, so, um, a decent little match back and forth. Uh, Billy, of course, showing his veteran wiles, and MJF being the sneaky, sneaky heel. Um, it. It ended with MJF uh, hitting him with the diamond Dallas dynamite diamond ring, uh, all based on once again Wardlow distracting the ref, uh, tossing the dynamite ring to MJF so that he can pop him in the face and then hide the ring so he can uh, get the pin. So I'll I'll give them credit for continuing to use the dynamite diamond ring in storyline this long. Because I do remember back when WCW had the Lord of the Ring diamond ring that uh, a, I don't want to say young, a early Diamond Dallas Page, because he was old when he started this, but an early Diamond Dallas Page won. And uh, it, it was used as a storyline for a very short period of time and then just kind of forgot. So it's nice to see them continuing to use that diamond dynamite diamond ring. I... I wish they would make a bigger deal about it so that it's not quite that, oh, he's got the ring. You know what I mean? I don't know. That might just be me uh, nitpicking. So, But MJF is still undefeated in uh, this year. Uh, I believe he had a loss sometime last year, so he's got his overall record includes at least one loss. But in 2020, he has not lost a match yet. Afterwards, MJF and Wardlow uh, got into a brawl with Jurassic Express, 
So obviously they're continuing that feud to go on. Um, and I think I think they later announced that it's officially going to be Wardlow versus Luchasaurus at Fighter Fest at some point. So, you know, that'll be fun. Big guy versus big guy. Wardlow hasn't had enough time to shine. You know, they've built him up as this monster. And I think he's only had like three matches. So it'll be nice to see him get another match. And of course, Luchasaurus always puts on great match. Alex Marvez interviews the sex gods backstage, uh, asking why they attacked Chris Jericho. And just a nice little heel promo to kind of build up, um, you know, what eventually will come with Orange Cassidy. Um, they talked about the blood oranges and, and everything. And it, it was a it was a Chris Jericho interview. So that's the way it worked out. It was good. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, throughout the course of this, they had back and forth showing that um, Britt Baker was seated in her Rolls Royce um, golf cart near the announce table and she'd set up a a little um uh messaging system where she could hang hang a message on a string and send it over to tony Schiavone to talk to him about stuff and mostly just continuing her heel crap um back and forth on that um in the end though tony Schiavone at this point announces that he has a big announcement at fighter fest uh penelope ford will get a shot at the world championship through Hikaru Shida and Britt Baker just went outraged and said that her and Tony are going to be on a friendship timeout and it's time to leave immediately. Um, so he she calls to, to who she expects to be rebel in the driver's seat of the Rolls Royce and says, get out of here. Uh, but it was not rebel. It was big swole and big swole takes off driving uh, grinning the entire way, and we'll see a little bit more of that in a bit. Um, moving on, uh, we had the TNT Championship match where uh, Cody came out, of course, with Arn Anderson. Uh, they'd previously announced that he was going to uh, defend it against someone not signed to AEW. Cody gives a promo, and it's a really, it's really an interesting promo. I've said before. Cody gives some of the best face promos on on all of wrestling right now. And I still believe it, but I also I'm excited that that they hint a little bit at heel Cody coming up. Um a lot of this promo deals with the fact that, you know, when he gets attacked by Wardlow, no one came out to help him, not even his own brother. When he gets attacked by MJF, no one came out to help him, not even his own brother. When he got attacked by Jake Hager, no one came out to help him, not even the rest of the elite. I don't even know if I'm in the elite anymore. Um, and during this, uh, Cody has a scratch on his chest and he goes to scratch it, but he very, very specifically scratches it with four fingers up, um, which I do think is hinting at some sort of version of the four horsemen coming up. And, you know, we can fantasy book and fantasy speculate on who it's going to be. I think the the fact that they have Tully Anderson coaching some one person and Arn Anderson coaching Cody uh, to me implies that they might somehow or another join up. But it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, there's a lot of things that can happen in wrestling. And, and that's part of the fun of this. So. 
Um, but Cody gives this speech, but then he announces that, uh, well, he, I think he gives the mic to Arn Anderson and Arn Anderson announces, uh, that they've picked out a good guy, uh, person that they've been watching for a while. He's going to take it to you and you're going to hone your skills and all this stuff. Uh, and it cuts to a promo of Ricky Starks, the former NWA television champion. And they mentioned that on air. Um, which I've always said is one of the things I really, really like about AEW. They don't pretend that the other federations don't exist. They like to say that they're the best, but it's not that Japan doesn't exist. It's not that Ring of Honor doesn't exist. We're just acknowledging they exist, but we're better. WWE, of course, takes the opposite uh, tact, and they basically just pretend like there is no other pro wrestling in the world that they're the only ones that, that matter. So they won't even mention the other ones. So it was nice to hear NWA mentioned by name. Uh, Ricky Starks comes out. Uh, of course, they show Jake Hager in the back watching on a monitor as this goes on. Um, so we're still building to Cody versus Jake Hager at Fighter Fest. Um, assuming Cody is still the champion. Spoiler alert, he's still the champion after this. Uh, Ricky Starks, though, is very impressive, this match. Um, it's It was a good back-and-forth match. There was a lot of, once again, heel hinting by Cody. You know, Not flat-out doing heel moves, but doing some things that were a little bit more on the line between face and heel. Uh, and it was really fun to kind of watch that going back. And, but in the end, uh, Cody... Um, gets the crossroads on Starks and gets the pin and wins. Afterwards, if I'm remembering correctly, I think they they stand up and they shake hands and, and there's the respect, the uh, good guy face Cody showing again. But I'm just, I'm really enjoying this storyline that they're doing. And it's kind of what I expected now that he's got a championship. You know, you can start telling the storyline of the the powers going to his head a little. Um, so I'm liking them hinting the heel Cody might be coming around. Moving on, the Young Bucks versus the now-named Superbad Death Squad, uh, which is Kip Sabian and Jimmy Havoc with Penelope Ford out. Um, in, in all honesty, I'm recording this episode later than I normally would like to, so I'm aware of everything that has happened um, with the speaking out movement. So the effects of this match are probably going to be short felt in the long run because the super bad death squad is not going to be a tag team any longer for at least the immediate future. Uh, with the, uh, the events with Jimmy Havoc, him entering treatment and, and all that, I don't think, uh, we'll see him on AEW for quite some time, if ever again at all. Um, but this was still a good match. I mean, Jimmy Havoc, you can say what you, you want to about uh, him outside of the ring and and whatever you say about him, it's, he probably deserves it. But in the ring, he is talented, especially as a heel. You know, he's really good at playing that, which I guess based on reports is what he's like in real life, I guess. Um, but in the end, um, super kick party, um, you know, it. It goes like that. Um, uh, Sabian eats the uh, stereo Kamagoye knees from the Bucks and then gets pinned. 
And afterwards, the Butcher and Blade come in and beat up on the Bucks. And then FTR runs in uh, and beats up on on them all. And they now they're all squaring off. And I don't know. I guess they're, they were building up to a uh, four-way, maybe a four-way tag match uh, for Fighter Fest. Uh, that, of course, will not happen. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether they write Jimmy Havoc off with storyline or whether they just say, hey, he's been suspended. He can't be here because um, I could see them going either way. Um, uh, but yeah, anyways, that's how that ends. Uh, they then air a promo, a pre-recorded promo with Taz and Brian Cage, um, basically trying to build up to the Brian Cage versus John Moxley match at Fighter Fest. Uh, go back to Britt Baker found in a dumpster behind the arena. Um, and she's, you know, berating Reba for not Reba, Rebel, and called her Reba just like Britt Baker does. Rebel for not helping her, and and where were you? And Rebel was like, I had to go use the restroom. And she's like, No, there's a full time job. You can't use the restroom. You're always by me. Um, and then she fires Rebel, and then she says, No, I'm not firing you. You know, so help me out. We have Matt Hardy joining the commentary team for the next match, which was the number one ranked best friends, the the first in line for the the titles at Fighter Fest, which it it still seems really weird for me that they won the number one contenders match at um, Double or Nothing. And then since then, there have been th- three other matches, two other matches for the titles not featuring them. I'm like, what What good was it winning the number one contenders match if a bunch of other people get their shots before you, right? You'd think that, you know, being the number one contenders, you would be the next people to face the uh, champions. But uh, that's not the way it worked, so. Uh, but so number one ranked best friends versus Le Sex Gods, which is Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara. Uh, back and forth match this was uh it really did look at least a few times like the uh sex gods the sex gods the champion were going to win uh but in the end uh there's a really kind of brilliant spot uh trent pushes sammy towards the the ropes sammy bounces off the ropes and gets tangled up in the arms of a a cameraman on the outside and kind of trips, which then allows uh, Trent to capitalize on it and um, and hit the, the whatever his his final thing. Anyways, is able to win, uh, and so in the end, the best friends are victorious uh, and continue to be the number one contenders. But that's not the real storyline. The storyline is that cameraman then casually walks up onto stage, sets down his camera, takes off his hat and his cameraman jacket, and it's Orange Cassidy. Oh, geez, what the heck? Uh, my question is, was he cameraman the entire show? Because that would be really funny. They should have done backstage video, uh, like, never-before-seen footage. We're like, well, this is why we could never use that camera, because... You know, here here's that footage from that camera, and he's just kind of looking up at the sky because he was sleeping or whatever. Anyways, uh, Orange Cassidy then comes in house on fire to attack Jericho and Sammy Guevara. Just, you know, beats him up for a while, and of course then the sex gods deuce out 
uh, and run away, leaving Orange Cassidy standing victorious in the ring. Uh, Of course, then the rest of the best friends come in, do the best friends hug, and they announce as they're going to black over the headset, Tony Schiavone announces that Tony Khan has signed Orange Cassidy versus Chris Jericho for Fighter Fest. So coming up at Fighter Fest, whether it's first night or second night, we'll find out, I guess, soon enough. Um, but it's going to be Orange Cassidy versus Chris Jericho. And that is a great, great match because we know Chris Jericho uh, can set up the young stars better than almost anyone out there. Um, so it was a great match back and forth. Um, fun, fun way to end the night. So they also, after the events of Dynamite, very quickly on Twitter, did announce that Abaddon and Ricky Starks have both been signed to AEW. We don't know any details of their contracts, uh, how exclusive they are, whether Ricky Starks will continue to be able to wrestle in NWA, uh, because some of their contracts have allowed that before. So that'll be interesting to see, but it is nice to see them bringing in some more talent, especially Abaddon in the women's division. They've uh, had a lot of injuries recently in the women's division, whether it's um, Britt Baker's injury, uh, Chris Statlander's injury, you know, um, bringing in someone else, especially someone with such a unique look and gimmick to be in the women's division uh, was really, really nice to see them do. So I'm excited for that. I'm excited to see Abaddon more um, scary to watch, but fun to watch. Scary not in a Nia Jax way, but scary in a takes-me-back-to-90s Undertaker sort of way. But So all in all, a great episode. It does feature a little bit of the kind of middle-of-the-feud lull you know, they're far enough away from their next real pay-per-view. Of course, we've got we've got Fighter Fest coming up here shortly, but their next real pay-per-view is not for another full month after that. So there's kind of this low. Um, I enjoyed this. I think I'll probably give it an 8 out of 10 citations, um, maybe a 7.5 out of 10. I don't know. I, I really enjoyed it, but it was just one of those things where it just kind of felt like there was a little bit of filler to it. But I really, really enjoyed overall. Um, Wednesday nights are my favorite night in wrestling. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Um, Monday nights I come home and I watch wrestling. And at least once in every night, my wife asks me, why do you watch this? And I respond with, I don't know. But I never say that on Wednesday nights, whether it's AEW or NXT. I watch them and I enjoy them. So, um so I'm, I'm happy to be watching this. I, uh, I, I'm i going to go with the 8. I'm going to say it was an 8. 8 out of 10, 10 citations for AEW this week. Um, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to this episode, uh, to this podcast on whatever podcast platform you choose. Uh, share it on social media so that other people can hear how great we are. Head on over to patreon.com slash raw and order WBU to check out our exclusive Patreon perks. Um, Head on over to our Wix site. The link will be in the doobly-doos below. Head to shop.spreadshirt.com to buy our merchandise. Some great options all around there of ways to support 
Like I said, the number one way to support is 100% free, and that's just telling other people about it, whether it's sharing it on social media, telling them face-to-face, sending them a text message. Let other people know about Raw and Order. That's the best way to support this show overall. The second best way is either Patreon or buying some of our merchandise. You know, that money goes a long way towards helping us Uh, afford to be able to set aside the time to cover every of the main shows uh, each week, to cover all of the pay-per-views, to get together because we're in three separate cities when we're talking with all three of us. It definitely helps out in that respect. Um, But any way you can help us out sharing it, subscribing to it, leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts is a great way. Um, and even just heading on over to tatnusco.com, listening to some of the other podcasts that are there, uh, other podcasts part of the network, and letting them know that Raw and Order WBU sent you. Um, great ways to support us in all ways. So, But 8 out of 10 citations for AEW this week. I will go ahead and wrap this up, and we will see you soon. <laughs>